and I'm thinking he just throws the gun nonchalantly into dead Bernie's lap. And I'm thinking like, uh, it takes more than that to frame. And I was like, oh shit, it's the 1920s. There's no <laughs> fingerprint analysis. Doesn't yeah, he matter. Just, yeah, he sets the gun down. You're like, wipe it off, man. Wipe it off. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta put his hands on it. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And we finally watched Miller's Crossing. And today we have a special guest. This guest actually is very special. I say it's special guest every guest, but actually Steve is quite special because Steve is the very first podcaster that I finally watched collaborated with. Uh, and I don't even believe it was our episode. I think it was uh, These Films Are the Juice episode um, about Heat 2, <laughs> which isn't even a movie. <laughs> but um, well, that but was welcome. the second one. Wasn't the, first <laughs> no. one the first one was Paul Thomas Anderson uh, rankings, wasn't it? No, I think that was the second one. No, Steve shakes his head. Steve, introduce yourself. Let's uh, name your podcast and please correct us on the Heat 2 PTA controversy we're having here. I'm sorry for being so slow to to jump in there. I was waiting. My first line was going to be, hi, you guys, what's the rumpus? But I didn't find a, a place to jump in there. So that one's ruined, but never mind. Um, listen, yeah, thank you so much for, for having me on. Um, so, yeah, my name's Steve and my podcast is, um, for me, these films are the juice. And, yeah, David, you were correct. Yeah, the first episode we did was the... Um, yeah, top five performances in Paul Thomas Anderson films, and then we did the the Heat Two uh, episode, which was the last episode I recorded, which was back in um, September. So I've been on a big podcast hiatus. So this is my first time on doing a podcast since then. So um, yeah, very excited, a bit nervous, but looking forward to it. No, you're fine. Well, wel- welcome back. Um, I can't believe it's been since September. That seems ages ago. Didn't um, didn't seem like that at all. I listened to the episode again, um, or, or uh, parts of it, and um, yeah, said September. I was like, God, I can't believe it was that long ago, almost a year. So, um, and again, apologies to you guys as well. I know I was I was supposed to be on in January for um, oh the um, David Fincher. The Dragon Tattoo. Thank you, Dragon Tattoo. I had to let you down, guys. You guys down quite late on, so apologies for that. Um, so um, I haven't listened to the episode. I didn't want to because. You know, it just wouldn't have wouldn't have felt right. So um, I've listened to quite a few others since then. But um, yeah, so fine, great to finally be on with you guys. No, no, I and I think I think uh, the reason I thought we did Heat Two first is because I associate Heat the film directly correlating to you now, Steve, because not only is your podcast name. For me, these films are the juice, which is a reference uh, within the movie. But uh, your love for Heat is uh, electric, I will say, (laughs) in a poetic way. And so I have to say that now every time I think of the movie, I think of you. 
so oh thank you so much thank you so much i was on the i was on the edge of my seat during the uh collateral episode because when you start talking about heat and you mentioned heat too i'm like i'm gonna get a name mention i'm gonna get any oh no never mind but it was um no that was a great episode too but yes thank you very much thank you well i think uh yeah we didn't want to spoiler spoil your return so we, we, we keep it hush hush and uh now here's on your the grand Q- on the qt on the qt on the down low yeah yeah and and uh, in anticipation for your big return here, talking about Miller's Crossing, which, Steve, like I mentioned before, David hasn't seen. I haven't seen. This is one that you recommended. And um, I have to say, before your rec- your recommendation, I have never heard of this film. Oh, really? OK, that does that does surprise me. Um Having said that, I, I actually it doesn't as well. At the same time, this one I didn't check in the in the research, but this and Goodfellas were released really close together, um, and I don't know. Maybe just Goodfellas maybe took a little bit of the shine off a of, off of this one, just because it was. I think it did a little bit more better at the box office. Maybe is remembered, you know, a bit more well known. Um, so maybe yeah, kind of takes the sting out of it a little bit. Plus, it's early Coen Brothers as well, and. Um, you know, maybe not. not, so, not yeah, I was going to say, I, I like Coen Brothers a lot. And, and this one definitely flies under the radar. I mean, for for coming out at the same time as Goodfellas, both being gangster films in their own rights, but very, very different kinds of gangster films, too. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, it's one of those ones I've, I think I've watched it three times in prep for the episode. And um, it seems to get better for me, I, I think, um, every time you watch it, you know. I think, I think Dan um, and I both think that too. Well, so I think that's a Coen Brothers thing. Um, so I saw, uh, shit, what is the the Brad Pitt Coen Brothers movie? Burn After Reading. Um, Burn, Burn After, after reading. reading, right, yeah. And I saw it in theaters when it came out and I hated it. Like I actively hated it. And uh, about a year ago, I was like, I need to give it another try because I'm almost certain that like I just didn't understand what I was going into and I watched it again in the last like six months and loved it. Um, It's like one of my favorites now. And so I think if you don't really know what you're going into with this, I mean, there's like a ton of slapstick elements in this movie that is otherwise played deadly serious. Uh And if you're just, if you don't buy into that or if you're not into it, if you're not expecting it, then you might not like it. Um, this has like a, a 66 meta score and, um, there's like a couple of people who gave it a hundred, you know, a perfect. And then there's one guy who gave it like a zero, um, <laughs> at which is that part's crazy. Right. But yeah. the, the point is, is like, you know, some people saw it as a masterpiece and other people are like, I don't, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the Coen brothers in general and it's why like they have, you know like a very devoted, you know, people that like love talking, their shit. You're talking about Miller's Crossing? Yeah. Okay. Be- because I feel like for me, the first time I watched this, a lot of the dialogue went over my head mm-hmm. and trying to pay attention on who was who, who owed what to whom, and all the relationships, how each one crisscrossed into one another. It was a lot for me to handle at 11 o'clock at night as my first watch. And so watching it again this morning, 
and I actually put on the subtitles because I was like, I need help. Um, but watching it again with the subtitles this morning, it's it's actually like a really simple, straightforward storyline. Um, but the old timey 60s gangster dialogue does trip me up, at least. It's more like think, 20s. Yeah, I, I mean, I. I think you're nowhere near the only person with that. I think it's most people's kind of first reaction, especially especially that opening scene. In the Coen Brothers, obviously, well, sorry, just absolutely filled that scene with slang and names and everything. It does, yeah. You're kind of like, after that scene, you're like, right, okay, who's yeah, so many names, so many phrases. Um, the amount of Jewish slurs that I learned from this um, <laughs> film that I never knew about beforehand. Because um, I, 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 when I watched it like the second time in prep for this, I paused it loads and just kind of you know, like Google, like, what does this mean? Um, like how, how offensive is this one? How, like... Yeah, which which ones can I say? And no, I probably just won't say any of them. Um, but um, there is one I had to look up because David and I were talking about it. And it's um, so... Schmatter. Shmata. Yeah. And so I had to look it up and I was like, is it that bad? And everywhere that I'm looking it up, I even put like um, like slang next to it or, or um, whatever keyword I need to put up to it. All it came back to me was it's a Yiddish word for like a dirty rag, like a dish rag kind of thing, like yeah. a dish rag. And and the slur, the meaning of it seems to only be in this film because I couldn't find an article or anything saying that this is like a slur for Jewish people or whatever. So I couldn't find it on the internet directly saying it's a slur, but I could imagine it within the context of the film mm. being, being appropriated for that. Well, it's definitely yeah. derogatory, right? Cause it means right. he's like kind of, but I'm saying worthless. it's derogatory. I feel like within the movie, like not really much outside the film. I think if you call someone a schmata, it's derogatory. <laughs> Well, don't, David. Don't do that. What's the schmatter with you? I said that to, I said schmatter in front of my wife, and she said, What's the schmatter with you? And I was like, oh, That's good. I was hoping it would come up in this. But um, what's funny about, not funny, but interesting, and you said, you know, you had trouble the first time, and then you go back. This movie, it's an hour and 54, and it's super tight, and there's no fat whatsoever in the movie. So that first scene is kind of, very reminiscent of like the Godfather opening where you have two people in a room talking about an issue. And in the Godfather, it kind of doesn't matter that much. Like it connects later on, you know, him giving out favors on his daughter's wedding, but not really like if you, if you didn't keep track of it, it didn't, but this starts out with, this is the crux of the movie that Casper wants to kill Bernie and Leo doesn't want to let him. And we find out right after Casper leaves that it's because Leo's in love with Bernie's sister. And it's like, that is the movie and it's done. It's like so much exposition, but just done very naturally. Now you uh -huh. could say like, Oh, well they should all, they all should kind of know some of this anyway, but it just felt very natural to me, but it's also like very dense and you kind of had to pay attention because that's what the rest of this is about is what goes on in this meeting. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I completely agree with you, with you what you're saying there. Um, it is, yeah. I think the more you, again, the more you watch it, and the more you obviously yeah, you know who the characters are, and know where the story's going, the simpler it actually becomes. Um, how kind of yeah, simple the, the the story actually is, and it's about yeah, the why I kept on reading through kind of like reviews I was reading about and kind of critical writing about it was that it's about 
a couple of love triangles basically um and um and that's the main kind of crux of it and everything else is just kind of in between well what about that love triangle between uh casper and ed danes and you mean uh, no it's between dane bernie and mink yes dane no dane casper and mink wow i mean casper has a son so at least at one point he wasn't gay, but I don't think they alluded to him being gay in this. But he, it, it's funny when you, so I only kind of caught on towards the end. Like there's definitely like the the language that they use makes it the fact that there's like, like several of the characters in this are gay and you don't really know, like, like the way they talk about it is kind of under the radar. And almost like towards the end, you realize, is Bernie actually gay or is he just like, you know, he might be, but he really just uses that as a way to control Mink. And then when you watch it again, you're like, well, is Dane because Tommy alludes to that? And then when you watch it back, you're like, he is pretty protective of Mink. And he, <laughs> Casper, even though he denies it, kind of like, I can see why you say that. Like, he understands the implication because yeah. he's seen the way he acts around him. Uh-huh, um right. There's even like some incest stuff in here where like apparently yeah. Verna was going to try and sleep, wanted to sleep with Bernie to, I guess, ungay him. That was like, <laughs> at least that's what Bernie says, but also Bernie's like a completely unreliable person. So like that could have just been complete bullshit. But um, the language that you were talking about earlier, the like the barrier of entry of like trying to figure out what's going on, like hides a lot of like interesting plot in the movie that you have to pay I- attention to. I still don't quite know what don't hi-hat me means. I tried looking it up, and then all Google gave me was the metaphor of how the how Tommy's hat was used throughout the film. I was like, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, but I'm guessing, like, don't hi-hat me is, like, don't bullshit me, probably. I, the what I kind of, yeah, I can't remember where I found it now, but I've got it down here. It's like, um, like being left out or condescended to or... Yeah, um, okay yeah screwed out of what what's going to rightfully someone's as well like you know so um yeah like casper feels like he should be within his rights to um to kill bernie for for what's going on and he's just you know but of course the way things are he has to come to leo first and you know just make sure it's okay one of my favorite lines is in the very beginning where uh leo tells casper he's like i'm as big as i or you're as big as i let you be and mm-hmm. i was like oh that is so that's high hatting the poor bastard right there. You know? I'm, as, I'm as big as you. I let you be. You're as big as I let you be, and no bigger is yeah. it. But I also <laughs> the beginning of that too, when Casper's just going off, and he's like, you know, when I fix a fight with a three to one fighter, you expect a three to one return. You know, what I mean, like, well, how can you do business when you can't even respect a fix? Is like yeah. just <laughs> yeah. how mad he is yeah. that he like. Yeah, we're back in the jungle. We're back to animals. We can't rely (laughs) on a fixed fight. When Leo is listing all the people that that know about the fixed fight, and he's like, oh, even Dane knows about the fixed fight. And Dane gets all defensive. He's like, what the hell does that mean? He's like, I'm just saying everyone knows about the fixed fight. And then Casper's like, I know that everyone knows about the fixed fight. But Bernie doesn't have the ethics to keep his mouth shut. Not ethics. No, well, there is there isn't. What's, what's, what's funny is when you get like in the beginning of this and then when you kind of are watching it again, you're like, does he, you know, he thinks ill of Bernie, but it's you come to find out that everyone does. But like in the beginning, you're like, well, is it he keeps using slurs that you think like he's referring to him as being Jewish, right? And it's like, is he 
is he saying, well, this it's the Jewish guy, right, that did this? Like, there's this undertone of, like, racism of, like, I think it's this guy because it's this guy because of who he is. But then you come to find out he's a piece of shit. And, like, in the end, he admits to doing it as, like, he thinks Tommy's about to kill him. He admits to, yeah, you know, I, I, I uh, what he said, I chiseled a fight or two. Like, well, I deserve to die because of that. Um, yeah. Like, even his sister realizes, like, he's a piece of shit. So... Uh, well, it's kind of crazy how how much is said in that last um, Bernie scene, because this entire time you're also trying to figure out, you know, a couple of things like who killed Rug and then the relationship between him and Mink and 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 stuff like that. And then just like gun to his head, literally, uh, Bernie's just like, yeah, I, actually, even before the gun is to his head, um, Tommy's like. Yeah, so why did why did Ming kill Rug? And he's like, oh, you know, it's just some sort of misunderstanding. Like, so this whole mystery that's like underneath the movie is just nothing. It mm. means nothing. Yeah, and and um, I love well, you that. Kinda, you kind of know it. that, and they sort of let you know that from the beginning, though, as the audience, because you see this little kid take the guy's rug off his head, which is why he's called that, and. Right. But then it's this big plot point with Leo of like, they took his fucking toupee. Like, who does that? That has to be Casper. <laughs> no, but funny. even even when they even like uh, besides the 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 wig, they were like. If a 22 slug killed him and that's a woman's gun, then it must be Verna. And so the fact that Verna says she doesn't do it and Tommy doesn't believe her and there's all this distrust within this relationship. But then it comes to find out that and you as the audience, maybe even start to believe that Verna did it like maybe she does. She did have her or maybe she and Bernie both ganged up on it, him and, and, and did it. But then the fact that Mink did it because he's just a paranoid person and then it just, you know, and then him being a paranoid person and then just being betrayed by John Turturro in the end is insane within itself, too. It just goes, yeah, it just goes to support what a yeah horrible piece of shit like you said that um that bernie bernie is but, but not just bernie everyone yeah well yeah no everybody is yeah no you're right you're right um maybe bernie's the worst i don't know um i hope obviously we're gonna i, I assume we're gonna talk about the um the scene where um where tom lets him go in in the woods and everything that's um because obviously that's it that's amazing but just what just going back to to casper a minute i know um uh david obviously i know you're uh you're a fan of kind of impressions similar to, similar to me. Obviously, yours is much better. You won the um, Vincent Hanna off, but um, have you have you worked on a Casper impression at all? Have you not given it a go yet? You know what I feel like. Um, have you guys seen uh, uh, like a Goofy movie or like a like the Goofy cartoons back when we were Pete? kids? Are you talking about Pete? Yeah, the, that guy's just fucking Pete. <laughs> so if you can do a Pete from Goofy, then you can do. No. Uh, the Polito. What is his name? I think John Polito. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I feel I, like I feel like you could also do like a Danny DeVito ten years on methamphetamines, and then maybe <laughs> you get it too. Yeah. So he originally, I think, was going to be uh, given a different character um, because it was actually kind of interesting seeing him in this like sort of bigger role, right? <laughs> like he is top three in this movie. Um, and I guess he had to fight to get Casper. He was going to get like Dane or another henchman or something like that. But he's he's kind of perfect for it, too, because the tone of the movie is like serious, but funny. And like, yep. I think he just fits it 
perfectly. Um, I wanted to say this for a while now, but you guys kind of made our, um, you talked about Goodfellows earlier and uh, Mike Starr, who plays Frankie in this, was also Frenchie in Goodfellows, like mm-hmm. kind of playing a similar like ancillary role of like, you know, being in, but not really. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that was like, that's like a good year for that guy <laughs> to, to be oh, in like yeah. these two yeah, amazing definitely. movies. Yeah. Um, I think we pretty much covered the first scene and you know, there's the, there's, there's also this through line of the movie where there's like a ton of phone calls talking about uh, Tommy's debt to Lazar, who's I think a character we never meet. And, um, and Leo and before the, you know, before the opening credits is like, I'm going to wipe your debt with Lazar. And he's like, I'm going to make the call now. And he hangs up on me. He's like, no, I'll handle it myself. And it's, I think what makes this movie so interesting and like, so kind of rewatchable is the Tommy character and trying to like, after the first watch, I was like, I don't fucking understand this guy one bit, like what his motivations are. And I think in the end you realize that just like a lot of stuff happens into the, in to him in this movie. And he may not be like as cut out for this, like conciliary role that he's got as he thinks, you know, one, he gets his ass kicked just all the time, but two, like most of his decisions are made because he's in love with Verna. Like even in the end, when he tells Leo to fuck himself and like, I don't need your forgiveness. It's because he's lost Verna in the end. Um, And so I just think that's kind of like, he doesn't even, it's like, you could call it a character arc, but it's really just to like, like shit happens to him and you figure out who this guy is. Yeah. in, In a way it's a reverse character arc instead of, I mean, it's still a character arc, but instead of growing into a better person, he kind of grows into a a worse person because he's lost his heart. And as poetic as that sounds, it's basically said within the movie that that is what he lost within Verna. But also he doesn't really have without her, he doesn't really have anyone to fight for the good of. Right. Yeah. And he's lost, and he's kind of lost, and he's lost Leo at the end as well. You know, that's it's another one of the love triangles that are obviously in the in the film. And um, I, I'll say, I'll say what I was going to say about that because it's the, it's in the ending scene, so I'll hold fire on, on saying that. But um, yeah, he's a very. Um, I think after the second time I watched it, I I thought he was very um, um, clever, crafty kind of character but then yeah i think after you've watched it a couple more times you realize that he is he's always watching the listen looking out for the angles as he as he always says but there's a little bit of um luck involved and he's kind of happy where he is he doesn't want to move on and um, that kind of thing you know he just wants to as soon as he gets the money at the end to pay off his debts straight away he's putting on another bet isn't he so it's like it's just that's he's happy with his lot kind of thing but he also knows that that's a sure thing too because it's fixed so that was also like a funny thing where he had kind of like tried to stay above board on a lot of stuff and then in the end he's like i have enough money to pay off and i'm going to make this bet that's going to make me even more money and kind of set me up um we you know this whole first part was a uh, hold on especially since he got rid of bernie so then there's no one to like to like tip the odds away from the favor right well, Bernie doesn't control the fights anyway. No, I know he doesn't control the fights, but he he like like Casper mentioned, like he tips the odds and 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 sells out the the fight so that all these other people bet against it. So it 
pulls down the winnings. But since they since he got rid of him and got rid of the guy who knew about the fight, who fixed it in the first place. And so I don't know, he 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 set himself up to win the bet and everything, but he did it proactively throughout the whole film. And I think that's why you like Tommy, because he's not a guy who just kind of finds himself falling into these situations. He actively pursues these situations for himself. Even when you're like the audience, you're, you're like, I don't understand what he's doing. And then it all kind of falls together in the end. Yeah. I do. I mean, I think Bernie had already kind of fucked up the odds though. Like we have that big idiot guy who bet on the fight and everyone who saw it, like who knew that was a drop Johnson. They're like, that guy's an idiot. So if he bet on the fight, someone had to have told him because that guy, I don't even know if he knows math. (laughs) Um, what, what I want to say is like, so we get to all of that was like a cold open. And then we get to the opening credits just out in um, Miller's Crossing. And it's looking, you're what, like looking up at the sky kind of the whole time, which is like the same thing that Tommy does when he's brought out there and he thinks Dane's going to kill him because he knows there shouldn't be a body there. Um, and I, I don't, one thing that I noticed about this, and it reminded me a lot of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, but I think it's just a Coen brother thing. Like the music they use is also like, it's very accurate and purposeful to like the time the movie's set in, but it's also just kind of very much them. Danny like, boy, like, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Well, yeah, I wasn't talking about that one, but like, I am, I'm talking about it. Okay, cool. But what I was saying is just like, it's like very much like you can, when you hear like a song from their movie, it just always sounds like it should be a song in a Coen brothers movie. That's true, but it also doesn't like it. It it matches usually to what the characters are feeling, not so much of what's happening on screen. Just like when Danny Boy was playing, and it's the it's the big shootout. That's what Leo is feeling. Like he's completely intact into his Irish roots as of of full, you know, whatever you know his badassery in that moment. But like horrible things are happening and so the song doesn't fit the scene but the song fits the characters characterization of who the scene is focused on yeah and the the opening music like um you were saying as well i think it's not it's not like a gangster movie song you know it's like it's uh it's it's of the time it's of the time that we think it's set in it's it's got it's very irish sounding um but it's not like um too foreboding it's quite beautiful in a way i think um a couple of again a couple of the kind of critical things i I read about they were kind of shitting on the movie the music of the movie actually but i thought it was great i thought the the kind of soundtrack all the way through was was brilliant um but yeah no i thought i thought it kind of matched the the scene very very well when uh when i was opening up the um by the way steve i (laughs) bought the criterion collection of this uh i saw i saw yeah i saw your tweet about it and um, the opening, like the the theme music, the 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 menu, the menu music mm-hmm. um, that's playing when you're selecting uh, the the menu. I don't know why I'm being repetitive on this. My point in saying this is that my wife walks in and she goes, "Why are you listening to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack?" <laughs> and I can see how she can get there. Yeah. Makes sense. You know. It does. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, no, definitely. Now you, now you say it. 
That's that'd be a good crossover. Is they're just running through a field with a ring, and then you just have the Dane pop in and like, what's the rumpus as he starts shooting at them? Same um, music, same music. Yeah. So I like when the the music cuts off and we get to the next part, and there's like great dialogue in this. And um, he says, "Wake up, Tommy," and he's like, "I am." And the guy's like, "Your eyes are closed." And he says, "Who are you gonna believe?" Mm-hmm. Just like a great little back and forth that doesn't really matter. Um, and then we find out that he had lost a bunch of money again. Um, we already know he has a gambling problem. And he says, Mink and Verna made off with your hat. And at this point, we don't really know who those people are. Like we've heard Verna's name, I think, mentioned previously in the scene before. But you don't really know who that is um, upon first watch. And you don't know who Mink is. And then when you do, you're like, all right, so why are these two hanging out even? I mean, is it because like she's hanging out with her brother's like lover, like they're friends? Like... Why were they at the place where he's gambling? It, it kind of makes the movie feel really small because there's a couple points where they're like, where's Leo hanging out? And they're like, oh, he's hanging out at Nikki's Speakeasy. And it's like, no fucking shit. That's where he always <laughs> hangs out. Why are you asking where he hangs out? Every time we see him, that's where he is. It's like it's his place. So why are we asking? Yeah. It's, it's also funny because it's like, first of all, how do two people win one hat in a game of cards? Um, and, and also it's confusing because that leads that, that whole thing is there to lead Tommy to Verna to introduce us to her. Right. That's the whole point. And then building up their romance, their like, um, what do you want to call it? They're like, not so, (laughs) yeah, it's a love affair, but it's, it's with hard edges, you know? And, um, you at this part at least confused me during my first watch and it cleared up in the second watch but i hate when like things are confusing and then just clears up with one line of dialogue that can easily be missed so here what i'm talking about is she he he ends up at verna's house and then i guess he grabs a drink which might be just they sleep together but then when frank knock frank when uh leo knocks on his door and he's like Okay, so he wouldn't be knocking on Tommy's door. Sorry, Leo wouldn't be knocking on Tommy's door if he's searching for Verna unless he is asking Tommy about him. So I'm like, I know it's not Verna's place, but somehow between that scene and the last, Tommy and Verna went both went back to Tommy's place. Um, and then Leo is just asking about Rug and, and stuff like that to Tommy without being wise to the fact that he's sleeping with his girl. But yeah, I think- the, the line of dialogue that makes you think that is when he goes, oh, I rung your place earlier. And he goes, oh, I came in late. So that's what makes you think, oh, they must have rendezvoused back to his place like four o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. Yeah, if they do the fucking at his place, not hers. I guess because like, I always, I thought twist meant prostitute, but I guess it just means woman. So... The whole time I was confused and then I looked it up and it's just like it's just slang for a woman, not necessarily a because they allude to her being a whore quite a bit in the movie. And I thought I didn't realize it was just kind of like loose talk. I thought it's like actually what she did, Um, especially when you, you hear later. She's like, I offered to sleep with my brother, which once again, don't know if it's true or not. How much more attracted to Marcy K. Harden were you guys as the more times you watched the film? Oh, <laughs> Too much so. That struck me. It struck me quite. I think during the second and third viewing, I was like, "Oh my 
God. Um, I had never seen her young. I yeah. think like the first thing I remember seeing her in uh, was Mystic River, which is, you know, Same. 11, 12, 13 years later or whatever. The so, first, yeah. The first time I saw her in was uh, Flubber. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even didn't even remember. That's the thing, though. You know, you, you say like, oh, it's the first time. I saw someone like you hardly ever going to remember that. It's like the first time you clock them. The first time you like, all right, I'm yeah. like marking that I've seen that person. Um, and I, yeah, for me, I think it was mystic river. Um, and this was her first movie from what I read. So like, Oh, it's really, oh, okay. Yeah. So she didn't, I think, I don't, I don't know what her age was at this time, but it doesn't seem like she started like too, too young in it. Mm. Um, I think she's quite a big stage actress, isn't she? I know she's been in quite a few things on stage. Maybe she's started from the theater, but that's, I think that makes the performance even even greater. I think I mean she's because she's amazing in this. I think um, so. Yeah, I didn't realize that was her first film performance, but just so unbelievably just striking and sexy in it. You know, because um, I think that kind of comes across maybe a bit more when you when you've seen it a couple more times. Um, so you talked about Leo coming over, and he's basically. Tommy's like, you can't fucking go to war with Casper. He's too strong. And Leo's like, I can, I can handle it. And he's like, yeah, you can handle it, but at what cost? It's not whether you're going to win in the end. It's like, you know, it's like the Civil War. Like, how many <laughs> bodies are you going to lose in winning? You know, it's going to be a loss regardless. Well, it's funny too because even after the attack on Leo's house, he comes back to his office. Tommy meets him there. And Leo's like really proud of himself. He's like, yeah, see, I told you I could have done it. And even still, Tommy was like, that's not the fucking point, dude. Mm. Like, <sighs> you are you totally missed what I was telling you. Mm. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you're alive, but you caused all these problems for being so. And then and then Leo's like, well, it sounds like I'd been better off dead. And Tommy's like, kind of, yeah. Yeah. And again, and in that conversation as well, it's just, you know, and for what? There's no good reason for it. You know, he doesn't see him protecting Bernie or, or relationship with um, with Werner as, as any type of good good reason to to start this this war as well. Um, which he's polite enough to be honest about to to tell Werner, that, you know, just as much as well when he goes back in the bedroom. Well, it's funny because he, he, the whole reason Bernie is alive is because Werner has a relationship with Leo, and then when he's about to meet his maker in Miller's Crossing. Tommy just remembers like, oh, man, Verna's going to be mad about this if her brother dies. Right. And so it's it's uh, it's the fact that Verna is, as they say in the movie, a whore sleeps with everyone. It's the only reason is keeping (laughs) her brother alive. Yeah. Um, so we, we find out when Leo first gets over there too, about rug following. And at this point we're like, Oh, he's disappeared. And then immediately you just see rug dead. And once again, you know, it's him because of like the really bad hair piece. Um, and Tommy kind of asks her about it and she's like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. And she's like, did you put in a good word for my brother? And he's like, I told you I'd think about it. And she's like, well, what'd you say? And I was like, they should fucking kill him. <laughs> um, and then we get to the scene next with Leo and it's funny, like Leo or Tommy walks in and the mayor and the chief of police are there and they both like just don't have an opinion about anything in front of Leo or later but in front of Casper. You know, they're just like, you know, whatever, which is, is really funny. Especially um, when Tommy walks in the room and and 
you know, Casper's talking, you know, it's going to talk business to him. They're they both get up immediately and they're like, yeah, OK, we're, we're out of here. We don't we don't need to know we anything can about this. Yeah, we can dangle. Yeah, we can dangle. You got you got to backtrack a little bit though. You just skipped over um, meeting Mink for the first time. Or meeting. Oh Mink yeah, as he as he walks. That's the only theme. Yeah. For the first and only, yeah, Buscemi's yeah. so so great in that little role. He's absolutely perfect, isn't he? In that bit. Well, I guess I, they cast. He cast. He was casted because he was the only one who could talk fast enough to do the part. And I like when he's like, oh, you know, what if I tell uh, them, you know, Dane about Bernie and you or tell him that you're talking to me about Bernie? He's like, Jesus, just leave me alone. We're not even talking here. Jesus, Tom, come on. Jesus, God. Straight shooter hey. like him. He's a real he's a real straight shooter. For a shiner, shiner. he's got real good qualities. <laughs> it, 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 Steve Buscemi is kind of amazing because he always seems to play the same guy in everything he does, but just characteristically different like it's the same it's the same um traits but the personalities are all different i've been watching the sopranos recently and he shows up in season five and you you know because it's steve buscemi he's a sleazebag but then the way he plays it is so different from all the other sleazebag roles that he's played before. Um, and, and I think I haven't seen Peaky Blinders, which I believe he is in. Um, he's in Boardwalk Empire. Oh, sorry. Yes. Thank you. Boardwalk <laughs> Empire. Yeah. Uh, very different shows. Um, Honestly, both get, both, no, both yeah, gangster no, shows in their own right, uh, but um, in the world of of options for TV shows, they're not that. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know which ones on Showtime, which ones on HBO. Yeah, Hell, they they before. both might be on the American hey, one. The American who, one. <laughs> who knows? Um, but but yeah, it it's he's very dynamic in whatever he is in, um, and and it's funny to see him used in such a tiny part in yeah. this but but important one as well and i think his um his facial expressions in 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 that scene are amazing when when tom just kind of outright says to him what's going on between you and bernie i mean he does, it's only like a couple of seconds but he does this completely shocked crapping himself it's like oh nothing nothing we're just amigos you know but it completely just i i think a lot of people when they again when they watch it for the first time there's there's obviously the the homo um homosexual traits in it are subtle and some people don't even pick it up i don't think the for the first time but then when you again when you've seen it a few times you just like he's telling you everything at that point just with his just with the reaction in his face um so um so yeah, yeah no just, i, I just, just his, his, yeah what's what's actually like my favorite part about this is so there's like three scenes in a row Buscemi then he goes up to Leo then he kind of goes downstairs to the bar and like where's Verna and he runs into the bathroom which mm -hmm. apparently there's an Albert Finney is dressed in drag in the bathroom and I didn't notice it uh, I gotta go back and watch that part did you know but... that alarm? no I what <laughs> <laughs> when he first when he first bar because again yeah I, re I read the same thing when he first barges in there's a a, a larger woman that that gets up and like crosses herself when he walks in and then walks out the room and she's like tending to the um she's like an employee and she's like tending to the bathroom but that's that's um albert finney in in drag he's is that... actually he was super albert finney is leo he, he's he leo. Was a... I no leo. i i know who he is but but what i'm asking is is it 
just played for laughs or was that like a characterization thing? Laughs. What the fuck kind of question is that? Well, I'm like, okay, because it's so quick and I missed it and they don't make. It's honestly, we were trying to get to the essence of Leo's feminine side and the fact that he's it's for laughs, motherfucker. What are you doing? What do you mean? What am I doing? I'm asking the question. Is it, are you supposed to realize that it's no, Leo no, or is no. it just it's, a funny cameo? It's, 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 a funny, it's a funny cameo. It's not meant okay. to be Leo is like spying on and dressed in drag and spying on Vernon or anything. No, it's just Albert Finney, the actor. In the time that Tommy <laughs> went down to the bartender, <laughs> Leo just rips his suit off and starts putting on rouge <laughs> to fucking run into the bathroom. Do you remember that? Well, it's such a weird gag to have in a movie <laughs> like this. Fire scene at the end where he has to keep running into the bathroom. <laughs> the restaurant <laughs> and he's sitting at the two tables it was that kind of thing oh but it explains explains how he gets away from the cops at that scene anyways <laughs> so my point of saying this is he goes in there and into the bathroom and verna's like yeah my you know everyone talks shit about my brother but he's such a great guy and this subtle line from tommy he goes yeah he's a straight shooter a square g which is exactly what uh Buscemi said to him and he's like letting her know or kind of just as an amusement to himself like I know you Mink and Verna all of you are fucking trying to get me to save this guy um and I think it's just like a funny little add-in like the dialogue is so good there's so many of those repetitive repetitive um lines in it as well I mean the script is amazing overall but there's just so many um lines and little motions that are that are double back on it's um really helps pull it together i think really pulls the film together i i also think that there's um you know this movie uh came out in 1990 and in that bathroom scene with verna he's like very forceful with her forces a kiss on her throws something at her head and this movie is played for like this is like an unrequited love or like a uh you know a two lovers that can't sort of connect given the circumstances um but he is like <laughs> This is supposed to be our protagonist. He's kind of an asshole to this woman uh, for the most part. So it's just it's just an interesting wrinkle of like because of when this movie came out. But she she first. of Yeah, I mean, also, I think like the stereotypical 20s man, that's kind of how we think they treat women back then anyways. But the fact that she kind of keeps coming back to him she kind of likes it. She kind of likes the the rough edges around this relationship. Um, I don't think we know. It, I don't. I don't think we know what she likes, though, right? I think she's I, just. She likes her brother. That's what we seem to know is that she likes her brother. A little too much sometimes, maybe. I don't <laughs> a little know. bit. Um, she, did it bother? She, she likes Tom as well. I think. You know, she, I yeah, think she does. She's in love with Tom. I think. And but she marries Leo in the. Uh, I don't know, man. I because mean, Tom killed her brother. Or at least she thinks. She thinks he did, and then he actually did. <laughs> but but also, there's all the proof that Casper and, and Bernie killed each other. So why does... She, I don't know. But there's also... Um, did it bother anyone, the the continuity era, error, when he throws the thing in the mirror and the glass shatters one way, and then in the opposite cut, it is shattered completely different? Or is it just me? Didn't know it was I was paying attention to that. You were paying attention to Albert Finney and Drag. I get it. It's fine. 
I was actually just impressed that you realized that like the characters were gay a lot because I really like when you were talking about the movie after your first watch, I was like, I don't think he knows. I didn't. I mean, there was this line that I was like, I was questioning. I was like, wow, they're they're really just throwing around the homophobic slurs around around this movie. And then in my second watch, I was like, oh, they really mean it. OK, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, I- I actually like when I was watching the second time, I was like, I need to figure out if Schmata is a slur for gay people or Jewish people. <laughs> um, so he next he goes home. We get this through line again where he's on the phone with Lazar and he's like, hey, if you guys need to break my legs, you know, that's fine. I won't fight you over it, which is funny because he doesn't fight anybody over anything for this entire movie. Well, that's what doesn't make any sense. Any, And I know I'm skipping a bit here, but after he quote unquote kills bernie in the woods fucking guy shows up in his apartment and then he chases him down and i'm like what are you doing and even bernie says like what are you gonna do if you caught me i'm like what are you gonna do if you caught him he's like well i'll I'll squirt a few and you'll let me go again (laughs) i um i want to yeah i want to talk about that scene in detail when we get there but yeah bernie is there right now and he's like he is the scummiest Within three lines, the scummiest, like, I don't care if this guy dies personally. Oh, you're talking about when when we're introduced to him, when Tommy's on the phone, he hangs up and he goes, oh, hey, Bernie. And he's just like there with the shit eating grin. Yeah, I think, yeah, even before even before he says anything, just the way he's squeezed himself into the chair and he just how pale they make him look and. The way he looks really—he just looks really slimy. Even his first, even his first line, he's like, "Well, make yourself at home," and he goes, "Oh yeah, I did, but you know, I I didn't answer the phone because I didn't think it would be for me." Yeah, we get to the point. Yeah, I get it. The smile he gives too is so disgusting. The way he kind of looks up and like shows his teeth, you're just like, "This person is gross." Yeah, (laughs) and I hope he dies. Um, (laughs) So. He also tells him about the fix before he he leaves. He tells him about the Verna thing, which we talked about. Um, and next we have Tommy goes into Casper. Casper calls him in. Um, and we got this scene with this kid where he like his kid's an idiot and he's like overweight and he like <laughs> treats him like oh he's the most cutest kid in the world. Um, and then later on he slaps the shit out of his kid for like talking too much, which yeah. is like interesting. I was so happy. I was like, good. <laughs> I was like, look, I know you two have children, but I mean, uh, just please slap the shit out of that kid. Well, it's not especially, kid, especially if he's going to cry like that after you do it, I would do it harder. Just saying. All right, then. Um, okay, there we go. <laughs> so he, he, uh, Casper offers to pay off his debt if, he um is willing to kill bernie and he tells him i'll think about it and he's he kind of he gives him the hi-hat right he's like oh well if you don't you know you might get hurt and he's like mentally or physically and then you have the huge dude come over to him taking off his jacket it's so slow walks over he's like hold on let me take off mine literally walks like a gorilla as well literally walks over to him like a gorilla yeah Hits him with the chair, and the guy's like, oh, oh um. <laughs> how could you do that? And so then he goes out and gets the older guy who just starts to beat guy. the shit out of him. And then I like that, like, as the cops are coming in, the dude kicks him in the face one more time, like, as a, like, well, I'm going to get this kick in. Um, and it, I think what is interesting, after you see that scene, 
where he, you know, Tom is walking outside as all these cops are going in. He has this conversation with Duel, um, O'Doul, whatever the fuck I, oh, O'Doul, I kept yeah. I kept writing down O'Doyle. You're talking but, about the police chief. Yeah, the yeah. chief of police. Well, before and, we get there, um, one of my favorite lines is he picks him up out of the water, and Tommy's like, "Where am I?" And he's like, "Where we left you ten seconds ago." Like <laughs> almost telling like the audience, like we're still in the same place. He was just knocked yeah. unconscious, you know. Yeah. Um, and I like too, as he's walking away, this cop is like, Hey, do you want to get a few punches in on this interrogation? It's going to last a while. He's like beating the shit out of that guy. Um, so then, yeah, he goes outside and has the conversation with the duel, but it's the exact same conversation he has with the duel 30 to 45 minutes later in the movie yeah. when the cops are now run by Casper and they're invading Leo's club. Um, I just think it's like a cool, like the, the movie mirrors itself back and yeah. forth with like Tommy in this and it's, it's really well done. And I like the conversation with O'Doul too of like, he's like, you know, Leo's fucking this up and he's like, Hey, Leo gets to decide when Leo says something, you like, or we can have a new chief of police. He's like, man, I'm only saying, yeah. like, you know, what do I know? <laughs> he comes, he, he hit, that's one of the best lines when he goes, um, Jesus, Tom, I was just speculating about a hypothesis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's a great a, one. That's a brilliant line. And, um, I, you you said it a lot better than I did I did earlier, um, David. Just yeah, it does. The film does mirror itself so much um, in later scenes with yeah lines coming up again. It's um, yeah, it's it's just brilliant. Once again, I think it's great. I think another funny like uh, David, you said earlier, it's more slapsticky than anything. For it's like comedy, like introspective. It's like trying to get the comedy out, but not through the dialogue. Because the dialogue is well written and it's it's um, played very pretty straight for the most part, but the fact that Casper and Leo have the power to just excuse the mayor out of his own office is like this is my office. He's like I don't care. Get out. And he's like okay, and then and then the secretary all of a sudden is just starting to tend to Casper. Like the mayor's secretary is starting to give drinks to, I was like, yeah, it just, it's, and then all the police, uh, shooting up the respective rival gangs or, um, places of business. It, the way that's all like laid out is almost like a, um, like a, um, Mel Brooks comedy, especially with like, you have all the line of police officers just randomly shooting into the building. Um, it, it's like a it's, it's a page out of Mel Brooks, you know. Did you know who the one guy who shot he shot the guy that came out of Leo's place in cold blood? Did you know who that was? It looked like Sam Raimi. It's because it was. It was holy yeah. shit! And I was so happy that dude died like immediately too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why he did. He's like, yeah, I'll get shot up in your movie. I don't care. Um, you brought up like the way that uh, the you know the they, he took over the mayor's office. Casper did, and I think the movie lets the audience and all the characters in the movie know too that like, Oh, Casper taking over is bad for everybody. Like he's not a leader. Like he, you know, the mayor's explaining to him, like, listen, I can't just give these guys the head of this office. I can give them another job, high paying, no work. They won't have to speak English. And he's like, are you disrespecting me? I don't care about Leo. This is how it's done now. And he's like, that's not. And what's funny though, is 
Tom, you think is going to like help the mayor out. The mayor's like, Hey Tom, what are you saying? He's like, well, I don't remember this lip with Leo. You're going to do what the fuck Casper says. And he's like, Tom, come on. (laughs) Well, the, the brilliant thing is, is that I'm not sure if the movie wants us to know this yet, or this is actually part of it, but Tommy is already kind of thinking 20 steps ahead of everyone. And it's like pitting, keeping Bernie alive. I don't think he really did that for Verna. He kept it. He kept him alive knowing that Bernie is such a scumbag that he'll be back. And when he does, he can play him against Casper or Leo or whoever he wants to. And in the end, it ended up being Casper. But I think Tommy was already thinking like, let me just play nice to Casper for now because eventually things can turn over. You know, I. it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I know, again, I've read some things that people read it that way. I really didn't read it that way at all. I think that he, I think that is him messing up. When, the way he's crapping himself and puking up when they take him back to Mother's Crossing the second time. Um, I don't think he does bet on Bernie coming back. I think he he doesn't sell it at all when Bernie when Bernie's in his um when Bernie's in his flat the second time um but I think he is absolutely petrified and didn't expect him to be there. I thought he thought that he was going to legitimately run away. Um, so I I see that the the way I kept track of if Tommy knew about the situation or didn't know about the situation was his hat. Right, because I mean, his hat is the biggest metaphor throughout the movie. Where, <laughs> what? I was, I was laughing at David's face there. He's, oh, he's, I, I, I can just tell he's thinking. What do you here mean? comes along with the metaphors. No, no, <laughs> no, what was hilarious is like, yeah, you were like, so the way I kept track of it, and I just in my head was like the most absurd thing. I was like, when he was wearing his hat or something, and then you're like, his hat, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but it's true. It's whenever his hat fell off. Tommy had no control of the situation. And whenever he gained control back of his hat, whenever he had his hat on, Tommy had control of the situation. Just like with in Leo's office, when Leo was punching the shit out of him down the hallway, down the stairs, the hat fell loose. Miller's crossing, the hat fell loose. But then whenever Tommy had possession of his hat, he had control of the situation at the end when um, Bernie and, and, uh casper died and then at the very end where he very confidently puts it on his head and it's all coming back from that dream he had he spoke with verna about about he would never chase his hat and yet his dream his nightmare kept reoccurring that he always lost it but only a foolish man would chase his own hat and i think that that tells you a lot about his character if you pay attention to as silly as it sounds david the condition of his possession of his hat told us when Tommy knew or didn't know about a certain situation. You want to hear something crazy? Go ahead. I think I think you're exactly right. But I also think that the fact that he lost his hat in some of these situations is proof that he didn't know what the fuck he was doing and he ended up getting lucky like a lot. So could we say that, could, does any of us remember if he had his hat or didn't have his hat during the mayor's office scene? I can't remember that part. When he said that bit that you're saying about that, he said you didn't give this much. Um, I, I assume he would have had it on. Yeah. I assume he would have had it on too. Probably, there's no I, think, reason... yeah, I think it might be one of those scenes where he had it pushed back. Like right back. I don't know what that means, Steve. <laughs> 
<laughs> that means you should, that means you should you should steal third, right? I um, but like for example, when <laughs> yeah, neither of you get that. But when he th- when he uh, when he throws up at Miller's Crossing and he falls down, the Dane takes his hat off and throws it and yeah, is about right, to shoot yeah. him. And it's at that point when Tic Tac is like, "Oh, this is a rag moment." And you're like, "What the fuck does that mean?" And he's holding a rag over his face or handkerchief moment because there's a dead guy there. And I'll say that like, I immediately knew that was Steve Buscemi just because of like how famous he is, how good of an actor oh, he is like that spot. I thought Tommy had a psychotic break in the middle of this movie. I thought him deciding not to shoot. Well, cause I, I this is the first time I'm watching the movie. So I was like, is this a psychological thriller all of a sudden where Tommy was like, no, I'm dead serious. No, I was no, like, yeah, just, I was like, did Tommy you know just imagine? That's the problem. <laughs> Shut up, David. My point is in saying is like, did Tommy just have like a nervous breakdown where he thought or or he convinced himself that he spared Bernie, but in reality he killed him? So I was kind of confused for a little bit there until, of course, it was made clear. I apologize as well. I'm, I, I just need to say to Alan, I'm not laughing at, at you for what you're saying at all. I think it's fine. It's just to sneak peek behind the scenes here for, for anyone who's listening. We can actually see each other on, on Zencaster here. So it's just it's a whole other thing about with you two and your the way you get on the, the banter and stuff. You know, I can just just it's mostly in the, it's mostly in the David, eyes. David makes these faces, starts laughing, starts kind of, you know, when you're saying something it just i'm sorry that's why i'm laughing so much okay but but then i mean admittedly it would have to mean like not only did tommy think that he spared him and and didn't really do that but then when he showed back up in the office that also would had to have been like a psychological illusion um that he had too and it's like why did he jump out the window who was he chasing no one like and i i was just thinking like how insane is tommy but then when you find out it's mink then it's it's made clear although bernie's foresight into killing him and then placing the body in the same dress that uh he was wearing is like inc- like way smarter smarter of a move than i would think bernie would be good for well no i actually think bernie is like kind of one of the smarter people in this but he just kind of became too smart for his own good like he was you know, he just got greedy, right? You can't just yeah. for your own good, see? Huh? <laughs> What's the rumpus? But I What's think the rumpus? Like, what voice is that? Mine? Yeah, what were you doing? Who what was that an impression of? Just like, you know, any like twenties uh gangster. Like uh like if 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 um uh Charlie from Always Sunny is trying his best in <laughs> remaking this movie. It's just like just fucking uh, string and and no, like yeah. in the in the wall. So it's like it's like Danny DeVito's like the garbage man, trash man. Ah, stop watching that show. <laughs> so, anyway, let's get fucking back to it. My favorite scene in the movie is the Leo assassination attempt with almost like zero dialogue. Danny Boy playing the entire time. Uh, what clearly had to be an Albert Finney stunt double jumping out of that window. I mean, that guy's got some moves. I mean, I think yeah, I think it was just a, Albert Finney. I think how, it was just Albert Finney. He was also very, he's, he's very uh, spelt yeah. in this movie too, right? Like he was in good shape considering, like you know, he got a little older and a little bigger, you know, later on in the years. So, oh, speaking uh, of that, I learned something quite uh, outrageous: is that 
and this has nothing to do with the movie. Um, but uh, John Voight from the first Mission Impossible is now younger than Tom Cruise is now. And that is insane to me. Not in like in, you know, calendar age, but like in the way he, he can move his body like Tom Cruise is younger. <laughs> well, it's yeah. I mean, it's also to do with Botox and the powers of venue or whatever Scientologists believe. Then you're doing it again, huh? <laughs> um, I I just also like the slapstick element of this scene where he's shooting the guy through the window and the guy just shoots out his entire Tommy gun. Does the Tommy gun dance when he's being, he's being shot? This, the, is, this is also back out. when movies did not care. Like, you know, guns had infinite bullets. Yeah. Especially Albert Finney's. Yeah. Um, I really thought they were going to do the gag because the guy just kept shooting the bullets above him and below him. I thought they were going to do the gag where it just splits the room in half. I thought they were going to do it where he shot the chandelier down and they sort of toyed with that, but then they didn't do it. Yeah. Did it bother anyone that Albert Finney put down his cigar in the little ashtray on his bedside table? The whole shootout occurred. The car exploded. And then somehow Albert Finney pulls the cigar from his robe pocket and starts smoking it. So he did big do on, that. Big on the nit, nitpicks, aren't you, Alan? Alan. <laughs> so if, if you go back and watch it, he puts it out in the thing, but he keeps it in his hand, and he kind of turns toward the camera, and you see his hand go near where the pocket would be. So it is like what happened. It's but not lit, though. I know. So him putting it back in his mouth is just like him still getting the taste of it, but you don't see it like puff. I wanted him to like shoot the Tommy gun and then like use the <laughs> heat from the muzzle to like reignite his cigar. Is that in the deleted scenes on your Criterion? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like how when when Tommy goes to him after this, there's like, you know, the there's this guy we meet who uh, he says the old man's still an artist with a Thompson, which is a great line. And um, then we just find out that everything's kind of turned for Leo. They can't find the chief or the mayor. And he's like, last night made you look vulnerable. He's like, you know, why were the police not at your house? And Leo's like, I didn't call him. He's like, yeah, I called them and they didn't show up, which means you're fucked. And he's like, and he's like, well, what? I should just give him Bernie. And he's like, no, it's too late for that. You need to give him Bernie and then you're going to have to kill him. You're going to have to make him think that you're giving in. And then you're going to have to like, it's over. Like this is going to have to happen. And now this is the way you do it. And I mean, I think there are two readings of the film from here on out, whether he's planning to kill Casper the whole time. I think when he tells, I didn't realize he was going to tell him about Verna right then and there. And, um, you know, he gets himself kicked out of Leo's group and uh, the shot of him walking out as Leo chases him down to punch him, I think is really cool. Yeah. It just keeps, keeps punching him all the way down the stairs. That scene goes on for so so long and it like starts the theme in the movie of him just getting his ass kicked even that when, old woman gets some gets some hits in with her yep. handbag doesn't she you know he gets he gets his ass kicked by everyone i was gonna say when when he falls into the socialite's bosom that what, what were you gonna say about it well i was gonna say that that scream from her was pretty unnecessary I mean, it's, I think it's it's a slapstick moment of like kind of making fun of like the old movies where you have like the socialite, like, which is like, you know, oh, someone touched me. 
<laughs> so I think it's played for laughs more than anything. Um, so after this, Verna comes over. He's like, hey, it's over. Leo kicked me out. And she's like, yeah, Leo kicked me out too. So they fuck, obviously. <laughs> then they're like, let's leave town together. And she tells him where Bernie is because he's like, I'll, you know, I'll tell Bernie to leave town. And then immediately goes to Casper and is like, I know where Bernie is. He's, you know, Royal, the Royale 302. Um, and uh, he's like, you know, can you get Leo off me? And he's like, we got plans for for Leo. Um, and right here is where, uh, you know, it's kind of implied, I think, for the first time that like the, the gay, like the, the gay storyline of like Bernie and Mink. Maybe. I mean, all he says is, is make us hold up in there with him. And then Dane gets real weird about it, mm. you know, but like it, it doesn't, I think later on it implies more so, but I think you're, you know what the word I implies th- mean though, right? <laughs> well, but I don't think it really does that. I think what it implies is that mink is in on the, you know, fringing of the bets along yeah. with Bernie and Dane doesn't accept that because he's friends with Mink and, and then he works alongside Casper. So it would look bad on Dane if someone that he works with you know, works quote unquote with um, is kind of double crossing his boss. So I think that's what it's trying to say. First off, any of the romance comes later. The implication of that comes later. Is this the scene where um, Casper says this is a mental state? Uh, no, that was before no. with his son. This is like the one where he oh. walks in, Dane is sitting on the couch, and he's like, you know, he. So this is this you, happened right after. To, whoever we holler uh, hire for this job has to have gone to college. You got any education? Okay, right, yeah. And then he says. If you can give up Bernie, that would be great. And then he immediately says Royale Room 302. And Casper's like, oh, shit. Okay, yeah, you you, you did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think the fact that they're in the same hotel room, though, I think is implying that they're together. Also, like a lot of people, it seems like, stay in hotel rooms in this movie. Like, uh, what, Drop Johnson or whatever. Later, they're like, oh, he's at this hotel. Like, it kind of reminded housing. I don't think it's people can afford housing. I think it's people are always doing shady shit, so they're always on the run. It reminded me of like Road to Perdition, where they they kept trying to skip, you know, town to town, stayed in hotels, and because they were on the run. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but this takes us to the scene. It's the scene on the on the cover of your movie, um, where they take Bernie to Miller's Crossing, and he is just fucking pathetic the entire time. Um, which makes it funny later on when he's like, yeah, I don't like that you saw that about me. <laughs> he like gets yep. really mad about it. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he admits to, you know, he says, I use some info for a chisel. I don't deserve to die for that. So you finally kind of know like, oh, this guy, this guy was like involved with that. And, um, and then, yeah, Tommy kind of, he lets him go. And I don't know if there was much thought about, what he was doing there until afterwards when he's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta put a plan into place on like, he calls well, mink right after this and is like, Hey, yeah, 
This is yeah. what we're going to do. And Mink's like, what the fuck? I don't want to be involved with this. Shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ, oh, I'm gone. Um, I think, um, first of all, just on that on that scene, um, I remember I watched parts of this film when I was far too young, just staying up too later than I should have been, and, and it was on. And I remember seeing the scene, and then I just remember this bit and the bit where, um, yeah, Gabriel Byrne jumps down and, and gets his gets tripped up and his face kicked in by by bernie um but i remember that bit's just sticking with me so much and john saturo i think is just a tour de force scene from him in this bit because um like you like you said david he's completely pathetic he's completely just whimpering and stuff but you i don't know i just personally i was like i feel a bit sorry for him i think he's acting I think he's terrified. It's just there's everything wrapped up in in what he's doing, and and then, like you say, it's done for kind of comedic effect. When he runs away, like he's got proper like spaghetti arms and and legs. It's like he's running like Phoebe from Friends and stuff. Um, and um, yeah, no, it's just a it's such a good um, such a good scene by him. Um, I think really what I love about this scene and how it mirrors the the last scene we see him in is that couple things. One is at this point, I don't want Tommy to kill Bernie. Uh, Even though we don't like Bernie specifically, I still there's a preservation to Tommy's character that you as the audience want to keep in. Uh, As the last scene plays out, I don't give a fuck. Bernie can die. I have no interest anymore, much like Tommy. But then the other thing, too, is that at the end where he's on his knees begging for his life, he gives the same exact spiel that he does in this scene. And I'm just thinking he either has this way too planned out where every other day someone is threatening to execute him. And he's like, I know what to say. I know how to say it. I'm going to get away with it. No problem. Yeah, you think maybe yeah after that second one you think yeah maybe he has he's been in that situation quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah, so he's talking to Mink on the phone and then he hangs up. There's so many times where he's on the phone with someone mm. and then you think someone's overheard it, but it's like a completely different part of the movie that doesn't matter, right? Like he's on the phone with Lazar and then Bernie overhears that, so that doesn't matter. So here he's telling Mink like, "Hey, this is what you're going to say. This is how we're going to get Kath, you know, get Dane." And then you turn around and he gets punched by someone You're like, oh, is it Dane? It's like, no, it's one of Leo's guys just telling him, hey, stay out of this. The, um, the interesting thing, too, about that conversation with Mink is that he's telling Mink to go to Casper to basically double cross Dane so that Casper thinks that Dane is in on the whole thing, too. And it's like if Mink goes and asks for forgiveness, then the, maybe he won't be killed, but then it would get dane out of the way for tommy but i don't think mink even gets a chance to do that before john totoro comes in he doesn't because he doesn't yeah i think he probably assumes that bernie's dead i can't remember if mink knows that or not because no he does he's like what happened to bernie and he's like he's i think he tells him actually doesn't he in that okay yeah i would i would assume so because it's so it's something like this it's like tommy's like he's dead they're going to come after you, so you better get a jump on it, get ahead of it, and throw Dane under the bus so you can live and he's out of the way. That's the yeah. conversation. Yeah. But I don't think it ever comes to fruition. No, because Totoro kills him like probably that night or the next day. 
Um, he goes to Casper right after this. Tommy does, and it's a really fun, com- funny conversation where he's like, "Promise you won't say I told you so." And he's like, "Okay, yeah, I never say that. I hate people that say that." And he's like, "Yeah, Mink's Mink was in on." It. He's like, "Yeah, well, I told you so." And he's like, "You fucking, you got a, you got you a got lip, a lip on, on you, you kid." <laughs> He's like he's such a serious character in this movie where he just like he, he like someone says something funny to him he's like you know I don't really like talk like that but all right you're honest instead of just like oh it's a funny line um I think is like he plays all the comedy completely straight yeah um and so then oh my right- god when his son comes in I know we talked about this quick but when his son comes in and he's like, the the sisters gave me a prize and he smacks the shit out of him and he cries and he's like, kids, you know, whatever. And then he talks to his son. And he's like, who hit you? Are we not friends anymore? Come on. I hit you. Come on. Yeah, and this is this is right where um, he's like, you know, why is Dane not here? And he's like, well, it's because Dane wanted to double cross you. So I'm kind of keeping you guys apart. And he's like, well, I think it's because, you know, basically he's like, you know, Mink is Dane's boy implying like a relationship. And he's like, I don't make it that way. Casper says, I don't make it that way. That's not what I, that's not the way I see it. Um, and it's like, I, I, that's the way I see it. <laughs> the way, the way Dane reacts at the end, he's like, that was Minx's body, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like it definitely implies like that it, that it was going on. So I missed something here. Why? Okay. Sorry. I, I, like I said, I was doing my best to pay attention. But I did get confused on who is the guy that was pretty beat up sitting on the couch in the corner in Casper's office. Drop Johnson. He's the, guy Johnson. That, he's the guy that bet $2,000 on the fight that everyone's like, he's a fucking idiot. He's the boxer. Tom walks into his apartment when he's just sat there eating uh, cereal. Yep. So what made Dane choke Tommy out? And then what made Casper turn on Dane? I got confused there. Because the drop knew about the drop knew about the fight, the fix, and he's like, "Who told you?" And I think he got dropped to say it was Bernie, which means Bernie's not dead, which means that that body out there had to be Mink. So you killed Mink. That's the mental. And that's why. And that's why Dane is choking him out. Yeah. So, but then why does Casper save Tommy? Because he doesn't believe Dane. Because he believes, yeah, he he's like that doesn't make any sense. We saw the body. He like he believes that what Tommy is saying is correct. Tommy said oh. to him, like, you know, do so you it's hearsay. It's hearsay. Okay, okay. Well, it's not he, presented he, in court, but yeah, yeah, he believes um, Tommy's version of events. So I mean, Tommy's just insane. smarter, right? Like Tommy has been planting this seed every meeting. Like, hey, look at your fucking boy. Just look at him. Look at how weird he's acting. And then once it becomes clear how much Dane is mad about Mink being killed, he's like, oh, he is gay. They were in love. They were fucking me. And Tommy's been telling me the truth the whole time. It's also, it's a little fortuitous for Tommy. Like I said, a lot of the things that happen in this movie feel like he kind of got lucky to scrape by. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree But with that. yeah, I think, I think it at least ties together. Um, got it. So he goes to Verna, tells her to get out of town. He's like, I warned Bernie already. And then we see Dane was following her. Dane goes in and is like almost about to kill Verna. And there's this kind of funny lines with Leo's guys that were trying to protect her where he's like, you know, tell me where Leo is. And he's like, if I tell you, you'll kill me. He's like, no, I'm not going to kill you because if you're lying to me, then I want to come back and be able to kill you. And then he's like, well, he's going around, but he's going to be at Nikki's. And he's like, you know what? I believe you. And then kills the guy. Um, Dane's a bad guy. It doesn't the the 
the bit that got me again when I saw when I saw it the last time, the way he strokes his face with the gun after he sees that Werner's like left that through the through the window, and he's like, "You run, sweetheart," or something like that. It's like, oh my god, he's, just, he's like, I eventually get all the whores. <laughs> so uh, whores this don't get a second chance. This character was originally supposed to be played by Peter Stormare. Yeah. Um, oh wow. Was, okay. Yeah, which would have been really cool, but I think the guy who plays the date is really good too. So I don't think and he was like going to be called the Swede. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bernie sneaks in and basically tells Tom that he's blackmailing him. He's like, realized he's like, I don't want to leave. And now that I have you and I like this whole time, you're like, this doesn't make any sense until he's like, you're going to kill Casper for me. Cause if you kill Casper, then I can just go on and live my life in the city. Like the way I want to. And then you're right. This part is weird where he just is like, just kill him. In your, if you're going to kill him, just kill him in your apartment. Like, why are you going to, why are you going to chase him down and try and kill him in the stairwell? And then fucking like a fucking Abbott and Costello routine. John Turturro <laughs> sticks his foot out and trips him. He has the gun though, doesn't he? He has the gun on the side. He only wraps the gun up when he goes to leave. Yes. Is that not the reason he doesn't do it there? I was the, well, actually I, when you say wrap the gun up, that reminds me of the the scene, the last scene where he's um, basically framing Casper and Bernie for each other's deaths. And I'm thinking he just throws the gun nonchalantly into dead Bernie's lap. And I'm thinking like, uh, it takes more than that to frame. And I was like, oh shit, it's the 1920s. There's no <laughs> fingerprint analysis. doesn't yeah, matter. Just, yeah, he sets the gun down and you're like, wipe it off, man. Wipe it off. <laughs> <laughs> gotta put his hands on it um, oh this is why you're always getting beat up you don't know the fucking rules <laughs> uh, uh but yeah the the flash the 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 double the mirror scene like you say of um uh gabriel byrne jumping out the window a bit like leo did earlier when he was getting away from the um the guys and yeah. um yeah and you're just like oh he just looks he just it's, that's one of the coolest like kind of shots like superhero like hero shots in the film of of tom looking like a bit of a badass and then just gets taken out a couple of seconds later by by slimy well, slimy it, bernie it's funny because when albert finney does it or his stunt double does it um it's followed up by this really badass scene that really puts leo on a pedestal for the audience at least but then, like you said, when when Tommy does it, it's played for laughs and, and it's 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 kind of the opposite way. Right. Because Tommy's our protagonist of the film. He's younger. He's better looking than Albert Finney. And yet this dude in the audience, eyes still can't catch a break. And and so it's like it it's played for laughs a little bit, but it's also played on the opposite of what we expect from our hero of the story yeah and he's not like you know he's, he's not, not cool he's not suave you know yeah 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 and he's not got that in him as well you've seen you've seen exactly. leo kill somebody you've seen um casper arrange the death of somebody and uh, obviously yeah you say uh, at that at that point you don't think tom has that in him to be able to to do that and he has and that scene in the um was it in the boxing gym with Werner when um, yeah. he tells her that Bernie's gone away? Um, I mean, that's quite a sweet moment, isn't it? She's just like the first time she smiles in it and she gives him a kiss on the cheek. And, um, you know, it's it's like he's a sweetheart kind of thing, not a <laughs> um, sexy, badass gangster guy um, that Leo is. 
So the next scene is um, taking him out to Miller's Crossing. When Tic Tac kind of pulls him over, he's like, get in. He's like, hey, you can't kidnap me. We're on the same side. That's not how it works. And then Dane's like, which is after the fact, you realize that Casper pretty much allowed this to happen. And the Dane takes him out there. and He's like, if we don't find a body, we're going to kill you. Almost kills him. They find the body. Uh, face has been blown off. And uh, so they're just like, okay, all right. I guess you get to live. I like the Dane. I, I feel like the Dane probably would have just in real life just killed him anyway. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to kill you. <laughs> like, it's, I'll just kill you. It's still where it's a right-hand man though, isn't it? You know, he's, he's still, I think Casper's giving him some, some leeway here to do a bit of his own investigations and stuff. But at the end of the day, he's still going to listen to yeah, yeah. stuff. Um, but that was such a, that's, I th- I felt like that was the day, um, Jay Freeman, the Dane's best scene, I think when they're in the back of the car and he's like, you know, everyone's so smart, you know, and he's, he's trying to figure out all the angles and stuff, you know, and he's pretty much got a dead, dead rights. He's, he knows what's going on, doesn't he? There's this scene. I, I think we've passed it, but there's a character named Adolf who I think is getting his shoe shine at the, at the moment. Tommy beckons him over because he wants to place another bet um, on the horses. And Adolf goes, do horses have knees? Tommy goes, I don't think so. I think it's fetlocks. And he's like, well, if I was a horse, I would get on my fetlocks and beg that you don't put a bet on me. And uh, it really has nothing to do with where we are talking about in the movie, but it is such a great line that I thought it was worth mentioning. I'm, I'm leaving in 15 minutes. So if you want to make any other Fetlocks comments, do it in a quicker pace than what you currently just did. Okay. Um, so we've kind of covered a lot of this already. Uh, you know, they go, the cops bomb Leo's and we have the Sam Raimi death. Um, then the, the, you know, the mayor thing where Casper takes over the office. And then uh, this part we didn't really talk about, but uh, Bern, uh, Tommy's like, Hey, uh, have you have, do you have a fight fixed right now? And Casper's like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, um, you know, he's like, I, you know, kind of insinuating that the Dane, the Dane has kind of let this leak, but without saying it. Right. Okay. Um, and so then the next scene I really want to talk about is he calls, uh, Tommy calls Bernie and he's like, you know, you killed Mink. And he's like, did, uh, and Mink had a 22 and he's like that he ditched after killing rug. Bernie's like, yeah, how'd you know all that? And then this is where like everything after this is kind of pretty much put into plan, like put into place by Tommy and it goes to plan, right? He's like, Hey, be at my place with, you know, a thousand dollars is what you owe is what would you deserve to give me? So I'll take $2,000 and I want you here at 4am. And he says at the end, he's like, yeah, I knew you'd be out for blood. So he like in this phone call, he has angered him enough to like, you're going to try and kill me when you meet me at 4am. And that's why I'm going to send Casper there because you'll kill Casper. Um, and then he gets beat up by Lazar's guys right after this, but the movie just wants you to constantly remember the Lazar bit, but it doesn't really matter. But then he goes to Casper's house, which is kind of like kind of like the penultimate scene here, like the kind of the big scene before we start kind of getting some resolution. And um, this is when Dane tries to choke him out and drop Johnson over there. Won't stop screaming. And then, <laughs> and then... can we talk about those camera angles, too? That just so happen to like come and go within this one scene. I liked it. They tried something. Yeah, they're like going the, for the, it. The, the zoom ins and stuff. Yeah. 
Zoomins, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, just quickly, actually, Alan, I just, I'm sorry, there. I know you got to get away, but just Alan, I know you had a, a couple of picking nits and stuff. How did you find about um, Tom being punched 17 times in the gut, and his only reaction to it is just like, uh when he slides down on the floor, and that's it. It's like no broken like, nits there. No, yeah, you're, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're saying blood. like throughout the whole movie, throughout the whole movie, just that, just that one bit. He got punched 17 times in the stomach with by Lazar's henchman. I counted oh. it. I was like, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised the guy's still standing after everything he went through throughout the whole film. So there's there's something I want to bring up after this. So he's like walking, you know, we see the clock. It's like 345. And so he walks out of this diner that he's been hanging out at after almost getting choked to death by Dane. And um, Verna like pulls up to him is like, you killed my brother. And he's like, no, he's alive. And she's like, why should I believe you? And she's like a gun on him. And you can kind of see in his face like the hurt. And he's like, oh, you know, I've lost her. Like, and she doesn't believe me. And I'm wondering, does he kill Bernie because of this? Because he's like, well, I've lost her. Or was he always going to kill Bernie and hope that he could get away with it? Um, I think that's kind of an interesting, like, why did he do it? That it's not really answered by the movie. I could see it either way. Yeah, I think that scene plus the, um, again, the one back in the... um in the boxing gym where she, she comes out with a line. Sorry, I had to write it down here. Um, he said, she says to him, she says, you always take the long way around to get what you want. Don't you, Tom? And like, that's just sums him up completely the way he's played all this situation. Um, you know, uh, saying to getting Leo to punch him out and throw him out of the gang to then be able to double cross Casper and everything. And then during that bit where, um, she's holding the gun to him, she says, um, but, 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 that's you all over Tom, a lion, no heart. Um, you know, she's the person that knows him more than knows him better than anyone else within the film. And, and I think it's those those kind of scenes that you think, right, OK, these two are actually in love with each other. But just because of the, the crazy time that it is and and their their nature, um, it's not going to it's not going to work. Um, but um, but yeah, in terms of him deciding to kill Bernie. I think it's just tying up loose ends. I think it's it's uh it's, it's completing the play. You know, he's, that's the final angle that he sees that he has to kill. He has to kill Bernie just to completely end this saga. I took it that he decided to kill Bernie after Verna left him. And then he was like, oh, what's the point? That's how I took it. See, there you go. Either way. So I, I like the, uh, the little bit of dialogue right before the end where he's like, Casper's telling his driver about how to shave properly, and you, he has the little piece of paper he's stuck on a blood spot where he's cut himself too close. Um, and then the way it's so slow played, you know, uh, the train car comes by, making a lot of noise as the shots are fired. He's just walking up the stairs, you know, like who's been killed. And then you see Casper's head, and he walks around, and he's like, you know, he's like, dude, you could have just as easily gotten me killed. He's like, yeah, but I knew you'd be looking out for blood. He like tells him like, hey, this was the plan. He's like, give me the gun. We'll plan it on Dane. He's like, oh, I don't, you know, doesn't trust you. He's like, and he's like, yeah, that's fine. If you don't give it to me, that's fine. But this is what we were going to do. And so he hands him the gun. And then at that point, it's like, all right, well, you're dead. Yeah. And he's like, what are you doing? You're crazy. We're square. There's no point in doing this. That makes no uh, sense. And he says, look in your heart. And then fucking Gabriel Byrne, what heart? And just shoots him in the head. Um, and it's and funny then, too because Tommy probably has the most heart from everyone throughout this whole film. 
but then no one really gives him the benefit of it. And so at the end, he's just like, fuck it. No one, no one thinks I'm the good guy. So why, why try anymore? Burn is, Burn is taking his heart. She's, she says you got no heart and he's like, yeah, no, I haven't. I'm not going to be with you. So, so then he makes the, uh, he makes the bet on the fight and, you know, he goes to the barrel the next day. I think he tries to go to the office first and they're like, he can hear the mayor and Leo fight and he's like, I'll just leave. And the guy's like, go to the barrel next day. And I love as he walks up, he says to Vern a big turnout and she's like, drop dead. <laughs> I love that. I love that exchange. You can tell how hurt he is, right? He's I like, love that brother. <laughs> those, are, those are two of the funniest bits. That line and the fact that um, Leo is wearing a yarmulke as well. And you're just like, he's oh my the, God, you know, yeah. one of the least Jewish people in the film and he's, he's wearing a yarmulke just to, you know. That's how sprung he is though, right? Yeah. He's down he's down bad as the kids say. Yeah. Um and just and then just the um the ending when, you know, um Verna goes off in the car and it's just Leo and, and Tom and Leo's trying to get him to, you know, come back to the come back to the um to be his right hand man and, and the line you mentioned earlier, um, David, when Gabriel Gabriel Brown just says, you know, I don't I don't want your forgiveness and you know that kind of thing. There that felt to me like a proper um like a lover's breakup, you know? Like right. he's Leo's like really pleading with him, he grabs his arm, he's like, Come on, it can be back to the way things were yeah. and all this kind of thing. Even... That's a line that you would say to someone that you're you're breaking up with romantically. And then the look that Tom gives Leo as he's walking away and he puts his hat back on, he's almost in tears, it's like a longing for a those are the real gays in the movie and that's what i'm saying that's what i'm trying <laughs> to say here um no no, no. the, the that, thing too like a, whether them. whether leo actually believes because he starts putting up excuses right as one would in a breakup being like oh yeah the reason you picked up that fight with me was because you know you wanted to convince casper that you were on his team at that point like i get it dude like it's yeah. fine. Like I all is forgiven. I know you didn't really mean to sleep with my girlfriend, right? You both, you both and, young. You both young. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And then uh just for Tommy to be like, Man, I don't know why I did it, you know, it wasn't that, but uh that's a nice thought, you know? <laughs> like like, no, we're we're pretty much done here as far as our relationship goes, but you know, you can you can think what you want to think. It just shows that Tommy has made that transition from being like a um, a sidekick to his own guy yeah. at that point. And I think yeah. that's great. Yeah. So a couple things I want to talk about as we leave. So they were uh, when the Coens were writing this movie. It's also interesting, I think, under the like the older rules for like directors getting credit for movies, they had to keep switching off back and forth because you can only have one director get credit. Mm -hmm. And now when they make movies, like they both. Um, so I think what Joel was the director yeah. and Ethan was Ethan the producer. Was the producer. On the yeah. Uh, but on IMDb, they both get credit. But anyway, they were writing this movie and they got writer's block and they took a three week break. And in that three weeks, they wrote Barton Fink, which stars John Turturro. And is about writer's block. So they wrote that entire movie in three weeks and then came back to this one um, and then did Barton Fink right afterwards. Uh, do you want to hear some al alternate casting, Alon? You're the one in a, such a fucking hurry, David. Go ahead. <laughs> so 
uh, Verna was uh, the these people all auditioned to play her: Julia Roberts, Demi Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jesus. Yeah, that's, and then that's me. the nineteen eighty eight draft written by the Coens included a list of potential actors to play main characters. So for Tom Regan, they had Willem Dafoe, Andy Garcia, Elias Codius, Dylan McDermott, and Tom Sizemore. Uh, for Verna, they had Kathy Borowitz, Linda Fiorentino, Marsha Gay Harden, who made it. And um, for Bernie, they had Eric Bogosian, Ned Eisenberg, Michael Mantle, John Turturro. Uh, Leo, they had James Gammon, Ian Holm, Richard Jenkins, John Mahoney, Trey Wilson. Casper, they had Phil Bosco, Michael Gambone, Joe Montaigne. And then for Eddie, they had... Uh, Ray Barry, Kevin Spacey, David Strathairn, uh, Gary Cole. So, for the Dane, was that Kevin Spacey was up for the part of the Dane? That's what it says, according to the IMDb facts that I read. Which, am uh, I insane in thinking I saw Frances McDormand in this movie? Yeah, she's yeah. the secretary. Okay, that's sweet, what I thought. Sweet, sweet she's also married to one of the Coens, so she's like almost in everything. Oh, that explains it. Nepotism. Um, is it nepotism if you're fucking? I think that's if you're <laughs> conceived. I think it's just if you're related. Maybe. Um, uh, Albert Finney was a last, last, very last minute change of um, change of cast member for Leo. It was meant to be Trey Wilson, wasn't it, David? And um, yeah, he he died of a, a brain hemorrhage literally a couple of weeks or something before they start filming. So it was like oh, a last yeah. minute. Um, Albert Fenny was the last minute replacement in there for, for him. Um, which I thought was interesting. Well, I mean, Steve, thanks for bringing this up to us. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. I think David enjoyed it too. Right, David? You enjoy it? Yeah, I liked it. It was good. Um, good. Definitely, definitely. The more you watch it, I think the better it, it plays. And that, like I said at the beginning of this, that's like I think a lot of Coen Brother movies. Um, I hated No Country for Old Men the first time I watched it. Absolutely hated it. That's because funny of, because of the way it was. Ended. It just was. It, I was gonna say, was it just the ending that made you not like it? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go into too much detail because I have to leave. But I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I get it. If you mention you have to leave one more time, I <laughs> will kill you. Um, the. <laughs> No, but but I do appreciate it, Steve, that you brought us this this film because I think it is an overlooked, underrated um, film as a whole, but especially a Coen Brothers movie. And so, for us to have a chance to kind of look at it, dissect it, and I think you know, give it some justice that it it deserves. Well, thank you guys um, for, for for watching it, having having me on, and um, yeah, I've had a I've had a really good time, and yeah, it's been lovely to see you guys properly in the flesh this time instead of uh, just hearing your voices. So yeah, thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure to be on here. So, are you coming back to the podcast scene? I am, I am. So this is me. This is me, kind of just yeah, easing my way back in. So I'm doing doing good. this one, and then I'm going to be on um, every rom com. Uh, podcast again i did i was on there and i did groundhog day uh last year and um yeah i don't i don't think that jen has released what films they're doing yet so i don't say what film it's going to be but um yeah that'll be good as well in a couple of weeks and then hopefully yeah start mine up again very soon good yeah and then so yours again for the for people who don't know is called for me these films are the juice you can hear steve talk about 
all different kinds of movies and all different formats. Um, what I like about Steve is that the way he has each episode, you never know what you're going to quite get. Are you going to get a montage of of best films from a certain director? Or are you going to get a focus on one film or maybe two? So um, I'll put all of Steve's links in the description of this episode. And then, Steve, why don't you just drop your Twitter handle real quick so they can find you there? Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for that. It's um, so it's at films are the juice on uh, on Twitter, and that's where I am. Um, and fil- so it's films are the letter R the juice. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where I'm more most active as as well. So yeah, thank you guys so much. And yeah, anyone who wants to give my um back <laughs> catalog that sounds terrible to say. Uh, and listen, yeah, please do um, please do listen to the, some of the episodes. Perfect. Well, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon. And this is David, and I've got to go, and we finally watched Miller's Crossing. Murder. It's murder. All right. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs>